0: Our gracious God, you have made us, because of the work of Christ and our repentance and faith in that, you have made us recipients of your great love. And so I pray, even this morning through this sermon, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may see that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us, the hope of eternal life. And that seeing that great hope, our hearts would burn to see the great commission fulfilled. That we would make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. And so this morning we pray that you would go before us, that you would move us to not just being a people who knows the good we ought to do and doesn't do it. James tells us that that is sin. We want to be a people who know the good we ought to do, who joyfully die to self and do it. And so I pray that you would use this sermon to stir up that type of joy-filled and faithful obedience. God, would you help us as we seek to honor you in praying for the spread of the gospel? Help us be a church that longs for that. Help us be individuals that long for that. And so for that to happen, I'm just well aware that I can't manufacture that this morning. And so, Spirit, would you please, would you meet us? And so would you take this sermon, would you allow it to be more effective? As it goes forth, would it be more effective than what's sitting on these pages? For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1857, the North Dutch Reformed Church in downtown New York had fallen on hard times. Immigrants were moving into the area, members were moving out of the area, and the congregation was dwindling. In desperation to to see things turned around, the church hired a layman to be a city missionary to give himself to the work of visitation and evangelism. Unfortunately, this layman had no experience or training whatsoever. Fortunately, This layman had a heart for the Lord and was a man of fervent prayer. Jeremiah Lanfear worked tirelessly in visiting and evangelism and programs, and yet he would often come back to his office at the church building in discouragement. And he would pray, Lord, what is it that you want for me? And he noticed that in the midst of a recession, nearby businessmen would take an hour off of work for lunch, and he thought maybe they would like to pray over their lunch break. And if not these businessmen, then maybe some of the thousands who had lost their jobs may be interested. So he printed flyers inviting people to a weekly prayer meeting. And so, accordingly, at twelve noon on September 23rd, 1857, the door was opened, and the Faithfield Jeremiah Lanphier, uh, the faithful Jeremiah Lanfear, took his seat to await the response to his invitations. Five minutes went by; no one appeared. The missionary paced the room in conflict of fear and faith. Ten minutes went by, and still no one came. Fifteen minutes passed, and Lanfear was still alone. Twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes. 30 minutes, and then around 1230, a step was heard coming up the stairs. The first person appeared, and then another, and then another, until six people were present, and the prayer meeting began. The following Wednesday, October 7th, there were 40 intercessors. Thus, in the first week of October, it was decided that this prayer meeting needed to meet not just weekly but daily and within 6 months there were 10,000 businessmen gathering daily for prayer in New York and if you were just to follow the scene of conversion across american church history what you would find is that within 2 years there were a million converts added to american churches undoubtedly the greatest revival in New York's colorful history was sweeping through the city, and it was of such an order that the nation was beginning to be impacted and affected by it. There was no fanaticism. There was no hysteria. It was simply people committing to pray, and that's not just a a one-in-a-million example Church history is literally overflowing with examples like this. The Great Awakenings, the Welsh Revival of 1904, the Hebrides Revival of 1949, the Kilsyth Awakening in 1839, the Ulster Revival in 1859, these and countless others confirming the example that we see throughout the Bible, confirming that that example didn't go away when the Bible was complete, but it continues even today. As one historian would say, history is full of exciting results as God has worked through concerted, united, and sustained prayer. A.T. Pearson would put it this way, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or any locality that did not begin in united prayer. God is committed to magnifying himself in answering the prayers of his people. God is committed to unfold his purposes and his plans in response to the prayers of his people. And here's the thing. He is God. He doesn't need the prayers of his people. But he hasn't merely ordained the ends. He's also ordained the means. And so we would say, yes, God is sovereign over the end. He's also sovereign in over, uh, over the means. And in being sovereign to see the ends accomplished, he has so orchestrated and ordained certain means that would accomplish those ends. Clearly, the Bible testifies again and again and again that the primary means that God will unfold his purposes, the ends, is through the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Does Covenant Life Church believe this? Do I believe this? Is there a Jeremiah Lanfear among us this morning? Coming into 2023, I think we realize that there are resolutions and hopes and dreams that we are praying the Lord would. Accomplish and allow us to accomplish. And here's the thing. If we're not careful with good desires, we can move forward in good, God-glorifying dreams and yet go about trying to reach those in self-sufficient, ineffective ways. I think if I were to ask every member of this church... What is your desire in 2023? I think at some level I would hear we long to see more people come to know and believe and trust in Christ. And I just wonder, have we made the connection? Justin, have I made the connection between that goal and the means to how that goal will be accomplished. Throughout the last year, our elders have sensed this growing burden for our church family as it pertains to our commitment to and our practice of fervent, persistent, expectant prayer and our faithfulness in sharing the gospel. And I want to be clear, those aren't two separate burdens, it's not we have a burden to pray, and then over here we have a burden to share the gospel. No, we see those connected. That to the sharing of the gospel throughout church history, even in the Bible, the soil through which that harvest explodes is, is planted in the soil of fervent, expectant, faithful, persistent prayer. And so we began 2023 recalibrating our practices to ensure that our stated uh, beliefs are are matching our actual practices. And particularly, we're thinking about this as it pertains to prayer. And so last week, John set before us both the expectation that we would be praying, but also the pattern for how we would pray. And so this week, we want to take that expectation and that pattern and we want to lay that over a specific burden that we have. And that is that the gospel would spread, that people would hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, and God in great mercy would save them, bring them out of death, and bring them into eternal and abundant life. And so do you desire for the gospel to be shared more than ever before in your life this year? Do you desire for the gospel to be shared more than ever before throughout the members of this church? Do you desire for non-Christians to be saved out of their sin? Do you desire for unreached peoples to be reached with the truth of the gospel? Do you desire and long for more missionaries to be sent? Do you desire and long for more churches to be planted? If we would say, yes, Lord, we desire those things then we must be a church that first commits to genuinely long for these things and to express that longing in fervent, expectant, bold prayer, like praying the impossible kind of prayers because with God we know all things are possible. And so I feel a pastoral burden about this sermon. Uh, it's been marinating in my heart for months, and uh, most of my conversations just of graces and grows, uh, both, gr- both the graces and the grows seem to be overwhelmingly consistent. I long to grow in this area, just even individually as a worshiper, then as a pastor. And I believe some among us, as it pertains to expectant, faithful, persistent prayer for the spread of the gospel. Some among us are excelling here, and your example has been life-giving to our church. And yet I also know that many of us are not excelling here, and some of us are being sinfully disobedient here. Like, if we were honest, we'd just say, I have not thought about sharing the gospel. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever prayed for sharing the gospel, And you say, wait, Justin, I thought this was a sermon on prayer and not about sharing the gospel. It is. It's supposed to be. And I think those two things are integrated, connected. And so I believe Paul's exhortation to the Colossians and Colossians chapter 4 will help us make this connection. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. It will be helpful for you to follow along. I want you to see this is not my idea. I believe this is from the Word of God, and God's desire is that we would be confronted with this truth, that we would be changed by this truth. And so if you don't have a Bible, feel free to use the one in front of you. Uh, The New American Standard Version is the one I will be preaching from. There are two pages, 158. If you would go to the second one. So the Old Testament, there's a 158, but then when you get to the New Testament beginning at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you'll go to page 158, the back half of the Bible, that's where I will be. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. So at the end of the service, you can find uh, our pastors and some members at our information table. We'd love just to say, hey, read this this year. We think that would be a good thing to do. The letter of Colossians really is a letter that centers on who Jesus is. And so that's what Paul's writing. Paul's writing because there, uh, he has gotten whiff and caught wind that there are there's some sort of teaching that's being uh, presented to the church, not from within but from without, that are beginning to make the church think about compromising their faith. And so Paul's writing to say, no, 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 no. Listen, c- look unto Jesus. Keep your gaze upon Jesus. And if you keep your gaze upon Jesus, this is then how life will look. And most of the letter is about what life looking at Jesus together in a church context is like. And then you get to Colossians chapter 4, and Paul steps out of that inward focus. And he begins to remind these Colossians that this looking unto Jesus doesn't stay within. It begins to spill over. And then you begin to have a burden and a faithfulness to, to start talking to others, to encourage them to look to Jesus. And so this morning, we'll notice two main commands, which truth be told, I don't. I, it, this may be one main command type of sermon and a quick acknowledgement of the second command. But nevertheless, there are two main commands that we will look at this morning that will serve as sermon points. The first one is this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. We see this in verses 2 through 4. Listen again. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the word. So that we might speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And so because Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, I I, want to be clear, Paul doesn't just say pray. Paul isn't merely calling these Christians to do an activity every now and again. He's not calling these Christians, hey, when you hear this read, take time to stop and pray and then go about your day. No, he's calling these believers to make prayer the standard feature in and of their lives. Devote yourself to prayer. Maybe your translation reads, continue steadfastly in prayer. What is devotion? What is to continue steadfastly? One commentator said that devotion is a gritty determination to not give up until God responds. A gritty determination to not give up until God responds. That type of devotion, that type of continuation steadfastly to devote or to continue captures the idea of perseverance. As the old hymn would put it, Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. It's the Christian's native air. One pastor would say, As breathing is to humans, so praying is to God's people. He would go on to say, It makes no sense then why so many Christians and churches are holding their breath. Devote yourselves to prayer. This isn't implying that Christians are to do nothing else, that we are to be in this, hey, I can't go to work. Hey, I can't be a faithful spouse. Hey, I can't be a faithful friend. Hey, I can't be a faithful church member. Hey, I can't go out and tell people because I have to be away. I have to be hiding and I have to be in prayer. It's not implying that prayer is the only thing Christians do. It does imply that Christians keep coming back to it. They never give up on it. That was Jesus' point in Luke chapter 18, talking about the persistent widow. She kept coming back, and in her persistence, she was given what it was that she needed. And I believe this is such a good exhortation for you and I, who oftentimes find ourselves struggling to be consistent in prayer to persevere in prayer. And so just assess yourself this morning. Assess your devotion to prayer at the outset of 2023. What are you still praying for that you began praying for a year ago, but you've quit praying for it, not because it has been answered, but just because you've grown weary. What are you still praying for that you started praying for a month ago? Why have you given up? What is what is it that you've given up on? Well, as we'll see in this section, Paul begins to develop how this call to devotion to prayer, to persevere in prayer, has unique application for how we think about the gospel being spread. But Paul doesn't just give us the command to devote ourselves to prayer. He then helps us grasp on how we can devote ourselves to prayer. And look at what he says. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thank you. (laughs) Keeping alert in it. And so first by keeping alert. Keeping alert is helpful for those of us who struggle it, it, it's helpful for those of us who struggle with consistency. It's helpful for us who, uh, who maybe would say, well, no, no, I'm devoted, right? Like the, the being devoted to prayer, yes, I pray every morning. I pray every evening. I pray before every meal. I pray. I, there is a, some level of devotion that marks my life. I think this is helpful that Paul says, okay, not just be devoted but also stay awake, be watchful, keep alert. You may have the discipline and the routine, but it can be easy for your mind to be elsewhere, to have your heart dulled. The kind of prayer that just sort of mindlessly checks the list off and it's lacking this watchful mindset of knowing specifically how to be praying. You're alert in your prayers. I wonder this morning... If you are alert when you pray, are you able to pray meaningful prayers because you're aware of the things going on around you? Are you able to pray meaningful prayers because you are aware of the things that are happening in the lives of others? Are you watchful? Are you alert? And so persist, continue, persevere in this kind of praying. Do you find yourself falling into repetitive ditches in your prayer life? And if so, then you probably will identify with the disciples who just when given the opportunity to pray, they fell asleep. Their prayer life was just sleepy. It wasn't marked with watchfulness and alertness. So Paul says, be devoted in your prayers, keeping alert, knowing what it is to be praying for. But then he also says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. This letter is full of gratitude. And that not only is to characterize their beliefs, but also their behaviors. It's what we find, and Paul mentions this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You see, prayer that abounds in request and lacks thanksgiving leaves us oftentimes lopsided. We begin to just come to God thinking, God, I'm just going to tell you what I need, not stopping to be thankful for what He's given. Thanksgiving helps us fight off discontentment. Thanksgiving helps us stay alert because we can identify evidences of grace that we're grateful for. And some of you may be thinking, I I would love to be able to pray to God with Thanksgiving, but the path that he's called me to walk on is difficult. And, And truth be told, if I were to be completely honest, I don't even like what he's called me to walk in. I would just encourage you to consider this, my hurting friend, this morning. Thankfulness not only has the opportunity to alter your perception over what you're walking through, but it also has potential to heal your heart during the most painful of circumstances. And so maybe you would say, I I just don't feel like I have much to be thankful for. I would encourage you, take God at his word, begin to seek to cultivate a genuine heart of gratitude, and just see how the Lord may be pleased to meet you there. It's potential, potentially the thing that you would say, I don't think I can do, may be one of the means to which God is going to bring healing. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And so are you thankful to God this morning? Your prayer life is one of the places where you can't fake it with God. You can't hide that you're not gripped by gratitude. And yet it's an opportunity for you to draw near and to be met with a grace that meets those who willingly come to him. And, And I want to be clear, there is room for lamenting, hurt and brokenness and unmet expectation and unfulfilled desires. There's grace there. There's room there. And it's possible to lament those hard days and seasons and lives and yet still have a posture of thankfulness. But Colossians chapter 4, this little section, 2 through 6, really isn't solely about how to pray. It's this call to stay committed to prayer. And then Paul gives a directive flowing from this devotion, persist in prayer, and then there's a specific aim that he has. And we see that aim in verse 3. So, the type of prayer we're to be devoted to, by is seen in verse 2, verse 3, praying then at the same time. So this is the content. Paul says that type of prayer is to be poured out for this reason. What's the reason? Verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And so what is it that that type of persistent Alert, thankful prayers are to be funneled towards the gospel. That God would open a door for the word, which he then describes as the mystery of Christ. And this is where we see the the crux of this text. Pray for the spread of the gospel. That's Paul's heart here in Colossians chapter 4. Pray for the spread of the gospel. Well, why? Why? Why is it that we would pray for the spread of the gospel? Well, because God is the one who opens the doors for the word to go forth. God is the one who opens the doors for you to speak of Christ. And so pray. Pray then that those doors would open. Pray then that the word would go forth. And just to be clear, as it comes to speaking the words of Christ, to speaking the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he has done, Your faithfulness is the goal, not your effectiveness. You don't have the power to change anyone. You don't have the power to forgive anyone. You don't have the power to save anyone. And so that that should not produce a laziness in us that says, well, we don't have to tell anyone. No, it should produce a faithfulness in us that says we want to tell everyone. And we want to be faithful and we want to entrust the fruitfulness to the Lord. God is the one who opens doors. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings someone to conviction of their sin and repentance and faith. It is God, Ephesians chapter 2, who in his rich mercy and because of his great love, takes a person who is, who is dead in their trespasses and transgressions and sins and makes them alive together with Christ. The work of conversion is a work of God. Therefore, we pray to God for that work to happen. And if there is a breakdown between our lack of prayer, that conversion would happen. I think if we trace that back far enough, I think what we have to just confess is maybe we don't believe that our prayers matter. Maybe we don't see the connection between praying for conversion and God actually saving And yet, as we've said, God has chosen to use human means, human speaking forth the mystery of Christ. And and I don't know how it all works in the economy of God, but somewhere between the boldness to speak a message that confronts people about their sin and holds out hope about forgiveness and life. As that message goes forth, God is pleased by his spirit to allow ears that can't hear to become unstuffed, and eyes that can't see to have scales fall off, and hearts that can't believe to be exchanged, the heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and the Lord is using faithful proclamation, faithful sharing of the gospel message to do that work the church throughout church history has earnestly believed this and it has driven them to bold risk-taking, I will do whatever it costs me to get this message out. And man, I just think about my life and I think, Justin, why in the world are you so afraid? Like, why the silence? Like, where's the boldness? Where's the faithfulness? When Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, he's not talking about, uh, there's just something about Christ that we can't fully figure out yet. It's a mystery. No, he's talking about the Ephesians 3.9 type of mystery. That what has been one time hidden for ages has now been revealed. And So what is it that's been hidden for ages? It was hidden for ages. It was, uh, why the purpose of God drawing a people and why the purpose of a sacrificial system and why the purpose of raising up prophets and priests and kings? Why the purpose of all of this? And then Jesus comes on the scene. And it's like, oh, all of this is pointing to him. It's all about Christ. And so that's then what we speak. We speak about the hope that is found whenever we understand what our sin has done and yet what God in great mercy has done to remedy that. And then we get to the end of that simple proclamation. And I say simple, I, it's, I, I understand it's difficult, but it is, a, it is a message that is simple to proclaim. In fact, we can think to ourselves, well, what else is there? What, what else do I need to do? You just share the message. And God in great mercy then begins to save and draw dead hearts to life and draw them to himself. Often in the New Testament, the word is spoken of like it's an active agent, like almost like it's a person. And I believe that's what the author of Hebrews would remind us of. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit uh, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And this is what Paul prayed for. Paul prayed for an opportunity for the word to go forth. Oh Lord, open a door for your word. It wasn't an opportunity for Paul to go forth. There was an opportunity for the word to go forth. And so let's just be reminded this morning that your prevailing personality, that your winning smile, that your amazing story of the way God has worked in your life, that is not what we're praying goes forth. Share those things. Smile. Use your personality. But we're praying that the word would go forth. The word of the cross, the good news about Christ, that's the instrument by which people pass from death to life. And Paul is saying, please open for me this opportunity, a door for the word. And so that's what we ought be praying in our community, in our city, in our country, among all peoples in the world. That God would open a door for the word. And so good news this morning, friends, you don't have to have a knockout argument about the inspiration of Scripture or a watertight response to the problem of evil. It is good to wrestle with those things. It is good to know what God's Word says about those things. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. But what you do need is you need to know who he is and why he came and what it means to follow him. And you need to be willing then to open your mouth and to declare the mystery of Christ. To declare, to declare the good news of who he is and what he's done. And we get that content right? And, and, and we must because truth matters. Then we begin to just pray. Pray for opportunities. And I'm I'm helped by Elliot Clark's book Evangelism as Exiles which we read recently as a church where he just says, we're not about just staying back waiting on opportunities. No, we're praying for them and then we're making and taking them. And then Paul says, but pray that that those gospel opportunities would be wed with gospel clarity. And we could define clarity as precision marked by understanding. So we want to be clear, we want to be precise, we want to be accurate, we want to be saying true things wedded to simplicity, not over-complexifying anything. And then I love what Paul says. Like I, I love how he throws this in at the end of verse 3. Pray that God would open us, us up to us a door for the word so that we might speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul could have asked for so many other things. Pray that I get out. Pray they would stop treating me this way. Pray that the, and yet Paul says, even in my chains, even though speaking that put me here, pray that I wouldn't stop. Pray that the opportunities would keep opening up. And so, Covenant Life Church, just will you devote yourself to this kind of prayer? Will you persist? in a watchful type of thankful prayer that prays specifically for the spread of the gospel. I mean, we, we can pride ourselves in thinking. Our theology says God is sovereign. And so that leads us then to pray what? That God would save sinners the way Paul does in Romans chapter 10. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, his brethren is for their salvation. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I mean, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11 is all about the sovereignty of God. I mean, it's just, it is, it is a, a geyser of truth that's just blowing out the blowhole of Romans 9, Romans 10, and you're going, what in the world? Why is Paul, if he believes that God is sovereign, then why is Paul saying, I'm praying for this? Because God, Paul knows that God has ordained the means just as much as the ends. Paul knows that prayer matters in seeing non-Christians converted. God is going to save some, and Paul says that he prays for that to happen. Because God has made the success of the gospel going forth contingent upon prayer. Think about that. The success of the gospel going forth is contingent upon prayer. It's why he asked for it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given in the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified. Your translations may say, may run ahead and triumph. Paul, believing in the sovereignty of God, says, pray that the word would run forth and it would triumph. God will see to it that his people pray. Pray. John Piper said the word, uh, the word running and triumphing is contingent. Uh, God's word running and triumphing is contingent upon the prayers of God's people. God will see to it that some of his people pray. He's made the triumph of his cause dependent upon the preaching of the gospel. He's made the triumph of the preaching of the gospel dependent upon the prayers of his people. Therefore, since all of that is true and all of that is sure, God will make sure that people pray. And so the only question for us this morning is, are we going to be among the number who are going to give our lives to this kind of purpose and this kind of devotion? You see, God gets the glory as sinners are saved, and we get the unspeakable joy of leveraging this breath, vapor of a life for something so significant as working with God to see the accomplishment of his grand purposes among all peoples. You want to leverage your life well in 2023? Commit yourself to pray for the spread of the gospel like never before. And so what is it that you're seeking to live for? I mean, what else in your life is going to count that is greater than leveraging your life for this purpose? I'm not telling you to quit your job and to be a pastor. (laughs) But I am saying leverage your job. Leverage your hobbies. Leverage your living situation and your sickness and your health. Your Unmet expectations. Leverage everything for the purpose of the spread of the gospel. And if you say, yes, Justin, I will. Or better, yes, Lord, I will. It will begin in desperate, fervent, persistent, alert, thankful prayer. That's the first point. Second point. Live to proclaim the gospel. Live to proclaim the gospel. We see this in verses 5 and 6. Having asked the Colossians to pray for these evangelistic efforts, Paul then naturally moves to the Colossians' own efforts in spreading the gospel. He calls these Colossian Christians to conduct themselves with wisdom towards non-Christians by making the most of every opportunity— and that's what verse 5 centers on. It centers this idea of conducting yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. It centers on a life that's marked by godliness, that would even attract the attention of the world. And so we conduct ourselves in such a way as to where it is clear to all that we are distinct from this world. And as we do that, we're mindful of making the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity. And so I wonder this morning, what does your life commend? What is it that your life is declaring about Christ? I love the phrase that he uses. Making the most of the opportunity literally means to buy the time. Because of the shortness of time and the shortness of this life, Christians should spend their money here by making the most of opportunities to get the word through open doors. Covenant Life Church, don't squander opportunities. And Covenant Life Church, let's not be okay laying our head on our pillows night after night after night knowing that we've squandered opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. This isn't about feel guilty and be condemned in your sin. This is about allow the Spirit, beg the Spirit to awaken your obedience to find joyful faithfulness in sharing of the gospel. Don't waste opportunities. Each day, there are divinely orchestrated encounters to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. At the park, at the pool, with teammates, with parents, with children, with coworkers, with neighbors in every season and every stage of life. If I could just give you homework, maybe you'll do it. What are the present opportunities that you have right now? Uh, Perhaps thinking about conducting yourselves and making the most of opportunities, perhaps you're tempted to sort of get paralyzed and go, I don't have the margin for it. I think if we stop and reflect a little bit, oftentimes we're not needing to create more margin. We're just needing to create intentionality with what's already there. And so what are your present opportunities? Write them down. Where are the doors for the word to go forth? What are those relationships? Who are those people? Write them down. Pray for them. Just just a few ideas. Share meals with non-Christians. Regularly visit the same places so that you can build relationships with the same people. Regularly ask people how you can pray for them. Walk around your neighborhood and when you see people, ask them how you can pray for them. And if you don't see people, pray for them as you walk by their home. Be a good coworker. Start Bible studies with your classmates or your teammates or your coworkers or your neighbors. Every encounter that you have has the potential to be an opportunity for the Lord to bring someone from death to life. And so let's make 2023 be the year that we don't let fear or hesitation or lack of preparation steal that away. I am very well aware that there are some of you that are not yet Christian. You've not fully understood who Jesus is and what it is that he's done. I've also, I've been burdened this week just thinking this sermon is so heavily applied and geared towards those that are Christians. What's the word? What's the hope? I I just want you to know the hope for you if you're not a Christian this morning is not to then think about Okay, what is it I can be praying for? How is it that I can sort of get swept up into this kind of religious activity and maybe be okay with God? I just want you to know that is not how you are ever going to be okay with God. Uh, The truth of the matter is that there is an infinitely, uh, there's an infinite and almighty and all-knowing and all-powerful creator God who has created all things for his Glory, And yet you and I, we have belittled his name and his glory. Every one of us at one time or another or maybe even currently believe that our way is better than his way. We question his rule. We sort of buck his authority. We fail to give him glory for what he's deserving of. And what's crazy is that we're doing that all the while with the brain that he has created and holds together and with the lungs that is breathing in and out the air that he has provided. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. And because God is holy and just, he will not allow and stand for the belittlement of his glory. He will pull out his, pour out his righteous hatred against that sin. And so, God, not being able to spare his wrath, would send his son in great love and mercy, would send his son, Jesus in the flesh, and he would crush Jesus. God the Father would pour out the wrath, uh, his wrath against the children of God onto his son, killing his son as the substitute for his people. And then God raises Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is also the same power that now is at work in all who believe. And so the good news for you this morning is not, okay, how do I pray and sort of learn some ways to be okay with God? No, the good news for you this morning is that Jesus has done for you what you deserve because of your sin. He has become sin. He who knew no sin has become sin so that you might be able to to become the righteousness of God so that you may be able to stand before your creator, the one to whom you are accountable and not experience the judgment that you deserve, but receive mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. And that's available by turning from your sin and trusting in the work of Jesus alone. And if you are not a Christian, I would plead with you. I've been praying for you. You are not promised tomorrow or even 5 p.m. today. Flee to the mercy that is found in Christ. And in order to do that, you must give up your sin. And it would be the joy of anyone in here to talk to you about that. You don't have the power to change. You don't have the power to resurrect anything. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ does. And So would you be reconciled to him? In this kind of life, it's marked by gracious speech. And Paul develops that in verse 6. I love how this goes together. This is how we'll end. I love how this goes together. Paul encourages these believers to say, pray for the spread of the gospel, verses 2 through 4. And then verses 5 and 6, he reminds them, you are part of how the Lord desires to answer that prayer. So conduct yourself in wise ways with those that don't believe and, and be ready to speak. Speak to them. And so at the beginning of 2023, I'm asking, Lord, might this be the year that you begin to allow us to see a harvest of salvation? Kind of like Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 9. And if this is going to be a year where the Lord sees fit to allow us to see salvation, then I'm convinced that that is going to come as a result of the prayers of God's people. He will get the glory for the prayers and we will get the gladness from the prayers. And I don't want to miss the gladness. I don't want us as a church to miss that gladness. I would just encourage you, think about the book of Acts. Think about how this happens. Prayer preceding the advance of the gospel. A fledgling group of scared to death believers in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to prayer. Do you know what happens in Acts chapter 2? God sees fit to pour out his Holy Spirit in response to those prayers. Peter preaches, 3,000 repent and believe, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. What do they do, Acts chapter 2, verse 42? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They're devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 4, persecution breaks out. Peter and John are released. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, what do they do? They go to their friends and they pray. They're finished praying in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 31 tells us that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they continue to preach and speak of the gospel with boldness. Prayer preceding the spread of the gospel. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, deacons help the apostles devote themselves to the word. In prayer, in Acts, uh, then in verse 7, we, we are told that the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is put to death for his faith. The very next verse at the end of Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, what happens? A persecution breaks out and what's happening? The word goes forth, the gospel's taking root. Acts chapter 12, James loses his head. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter's put in prison. But what do we read? The church is praying. And an angel appears, touches Peter's side, his chains fall off, iron gates open up. P- Peter realizes what is happening. He's freed. He walks to Mary's house in verse in verse 11 and in verse 12. What are they doing? They are praying. What are they doing? After Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 13. The church at Antioch. They're gathered together. They're worshiping. They're fasting. They are praying. And the Holy Spirit then sets aside Barnabas and Saul to be sent off for missionary service. I don't want to be a church that's known for our creativity, our strategy, and our ingenuity. I want to be a church that's known for our desperate prayers, believing that our prayers are unfolding the purposes that God has for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. God has allowed us in 12 years to see almost 400 members join Covenant Life Church. And of those almost 400 members, 75 have joined us through baptism. And of those 75, 21 have joined us through conversion under the ministry of the members of this church. I can't tell you how thankful I am for those conversions. I also can't tell you how stirred up in a good way I am for us not to be okay with just under two conversions a year. Man, it can't be that way. And if your heart desires, let me be clear, we can't manufacture or change or bring about anything. We can be faithful, and we can lay hold of God in earnest prayer, believing, expecting, begging Him to move among us in ways that He is not moved among us before. I pray 2023 would be that year. And so with the growing burden to flip that, that trend, I'm asking every member of this church to make our monthly prayer meetings more of a priority this year than they've ever been any other year, which means I'm asking every member of our church to be back tonight at 4.30. And I'm asking you in coming back to show up expecting that if we give ourselves to this, there's no telling how he may be pleased to move to see a harvest of salvation. And so be here tonight with us. Make the spread of the gospel a matter of prayer in your own life. Make it a matter of prayer in your community groups. Make it a matter of prayer as you do dinners with one another and accountability and discipling relationships. Just maybe 2023 would be the year that the Lord would allow us to see a great harvest of salvation. The surest sign that God is about to send power upon us in a great movement of salvation is that there would first be a faithful movement of prayer. And so it's with thankful hearts and really hearts that are filled with hope that we turn to this table whereby we remember the cost of being brought from death to life. And that's who this meal is for. The Lord's Supper is for adopted children, sons and daughters of the living God. This isn't some ritual that we do to kind of keep ourselves in good standing with God. No, this is what we do in receiving this meal by faith, remembering the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so here at Covenant Life, the table is open to baptized believers that are members of good standing in a church that preaches the true gospel the gospel that you heard here and also those that are walking in reconciliation with one another there's not broken relationships and also that we're walking in repentance of sin maybe even this morning the disobedience of sharing of not sharing the gospel and so this morning, the elements are going to be passed. And so if that's you, and you're willing to turn from sin, we'd invite you to partake. If that's not you, we would just encourage you to abstain. And instead, consider, consider Christ. If you're not a Christian, don't take this meal. Consider the merits of Christ. Why would you not believe? And we'll observe the supper together once everyone has the elements. Let's pray. Our holy God, we ask you to allow this word that has gone forth. I'm, we ask you to make it effective. Lord, change us. And as we approach the table, give us hearts that are grateful for the work of salvation that you've done in us. And give us yearnings that months from now, coworkers and classmates and family members and neighbors will be here partaking with us. So let us look unto you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.